Hi, I'm Sheldon Kennedy, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast, The Sheldon Kennedy Show. These episodes will feature honest and open conversations with notable guests who will share their stories, subject matter expertise, and insights on the many social issues we face today. This podcast is presented by Respect Group. Founded in 2004, Respect Group empowers people to recognize and prevent bullying, abuse, harassment, and discrimination through interactive online education. To date, over 1.6 million Canadians have been Respect certified in sport, schools, and the workplace. Now, I'm delighted to introduce our next guest, my friend, Bryant McBride. Bryant builds businesses at the intersections of sports, technology, and media. Bryant's entrepreneurial track record over 20 years is 5-1-1, one, one, netting investors eight times cumulatively on invested capital with one more investment burst, where he is CEO, still in play. Bryant served as Vice President, New Business Development at the NHL, the first Black executive in NHL history, where he oversaw the creation of international events and broadcasting and the initial NHL Diversity Task Force, rink development, and early digital initiatives. In 2019, he produced the critically acclaimed film, Willie, about the NHL's first Black player and now works with the U.S. State Department and Global Affairs Canada to promote the social and emotional learning messages in the film to schools across North America and around the world. He has served on the boards of the New York Roadrunners, the Armory Track and Field Centre in New York City, the Rose Kennedy Greenway Conservancy in Boston, and is co-chair of the Carnegie Initiative, an organization that works to make the sport of hockey more accessible, accepting, and inclusive. He enjoys mentoring smart, relentless business builders and social entrepreneurs, has been a leader on social justice initiatives for decades, is an avid youth hockey administrator, and has started 26 marathons and only completed one? What? Oh, no. Oh, completed all 26. (laughs) So with that, Brian, thank you. Thank you very much for, uh, thank you very much for, well, first of all, thank you very much for all your work that you do for our communities and the game of hockey. And it's an honor to have you with us today. And and uh, last I saw you was when you were on stage kicking off the inaugural Carnegie Initiative Conference uh, on the same weekend as the Willie O'Ree uh, Jersey Retirement. It must have been uh, a huge, huge weekend for you and, and your team with the Carnegie Initiative. It was a blast. It was really fun um, seeing all of those people together all working towards a common cause of making hockey more accepting and inclusive and um it was just gratifying right you know to know that i think so many of the people out there are working in silos and they don't know that other people are really care deeply about these issues are spending time and energy and resources against these issues and you start to feel pretty alone right and um you know like respect group does you you break down those bear those walls those silos so that people don't feel alone so we we took a page out of your book and um, just really used the power to convene and so mm-hmm. that people could be together. And even if it was, you know, some of it was virtual and hybrid, if you will, we had about 170 people in person in Boston, which was a huge accomplishment with no COVID um, cases reported a week after, which I'm really right proud on. of. We worked hard at that. And um, so that was fun. And then we were able to, you know, pipe in a whole bunch of people due to weather and COVID just made it really, really almost impossible to get there for some people. And so we were ready for it. And, and so I, I, you know, tip my hat to the incredible team 
Stephanie, Ken, uh, Christine, Bernice, who, who just did a real bang up job in making sure that all those groups pulled together. And uh, and now now the trajectory is, uh, we, we think, incredibly promising. We're, we're looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, it was awesome, Brian. And, you know, I was, uh, I participated for the day uh, online. Uh, we weren't able to get down there, uh, which was disappointing, but uh, it is what it is. You know, I think one of the things that was just, I think, stuck out with me and I think what really came across and, and you say it well, is just, you know, putting people in in the same room to be able to uh, have healthy conversations. And one of the questions that, you know, has always, I guess, stuck with me and in, in through our conversations is why, why do we do this work? Why is it important to do this work through hockey, you know, inclusivity, diversity work, uh, you know, maybe just chat with us about yeah, that. Yeah, Give me your vision on that, absolutely, Brian. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, I mean, I think we had similar experiences as, as kids when you got your skates on and you got on that sheet of ice it, it was just freedom and an escape like you've never felt you were you're singular in your focus and purpose and your teammates you know with you it's just heaven right just be able to escape your at the time your your little kid your grades or your teacher or your parents whatever just freedom and it was amazing right that that so if anyone takes that away from you mm-hmm. and does something in that space in that environment that lessens that experience that's really wrong. And it's really, really just, it, it's, it's such a betrayal of, of the, the, the beauty and the purity of that, right? That when people are, are, are treated as less than in that situation, it's just something that's just not, it shouldn't, it can't be tolerated. It's got to keep that purity, that, that beauty of, of participation, of growing, of falling down, getting back up, of learning, right? So, so that the, the effort is to protect that and to make that accessible to everyone. Everyone deserves that, right? I've had people, senior people in, in sports organizations say to me, why are we politicizing hockey? Well, it's like, you know what? Because my kids deserve to have that same experience as your kids do. And if something is an impediment to that, we have to remove that immediately, right? It diminishes not just from the macro level, the sport itself and the potential growth of the sport itself, which is, you know, an issue, but it also steals. It's theft. It's stealing that away from a kid, a family who, who could be in that in that realm growing and and experiencing things and learning how to learning how to win, learning how to lose, learning how to be a great teammate, pick each other up no matter what, right? That that's the beauty of it. I I argue with people all the time. I don't argue. I I make the case. I'm a dad. All I really care about is is what's best for my kids, right? At the end of the day. And if I were to give my kids, if I had a choice to give my kids only one thing, it's resiliency the ability to get back up no matter what, especially kids of color. You're going to need that. You're going to need it. All kids do, but you're really going to need it. You're going to run into some things that are going to be challenging and hard, and you've got to have that that fortitude. So when you are, hockey is a great equalizer. When you're four, five, six, seven years old, and you put on um, skates, they're a great equalizer. Yeah. Nobody's blowing skates on, right? So you get out there, and the first thing that happens is you fall on your butt, and you learn to get back up. Every time. And that's a muscle that I've never seen anything develop it better than hockey. Yeah. That mastery from the time you step out there when you're in October and then by April, you're flying around. (laughs) 
done something, right? And that's a muscle that lends itself to all parts of your life. So I find it critical to protect that yeah. and make sure that all kids get that opportunity. That, yeah. That's why I do it. Yeah. Well, you've been doing this for a long time, Brian, and uh, not easy work. Uh, you know, to me, it's about culture change. And, you know, I, I look at, uh, you know, one of your one of your jobs with the NHL and it's the creating the the diversity task force. What year was that? And and what yeah. was the what was the um I guess the purpose of of that? Like what sure. was the goal of that? Yeah, the, the goal was, you know, I, I, I'll, the the seeds, I'll start there. Yeah. Where it started from. I, I'm a black hockey player from Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. It's where I grew up, born in Chicago, got to the Sioux, and um, and I was five, six years old starting to play hockey. I was two years behind. <laughs> it's crazy. I was like, yeah. oh my God. You know, my parents were like, oh, he may never catch up. I was like, no, no, I'm going to catch up. And I did. <laughs> um, got to the point to play college hockey in the States. So I caught up. And the thing that always stayed with me is I never had a teammate of color. Yeah. Ever. ever. And this is the, you know, this is the 70s and 80s, you know, where, you know, I graduated from college in 88. So for 18 years of playing, you know, competitive hockey, you know, at a pretty high level, you know, I, I was two years behind Ronnie Francis in the Sioux, in the Sioux Legion. So we, we, we were go get them teams, right? Yeah. And yeah. I watched, I watched that team go to the Air Canada Cup and we made it to the All Ontario finals. And I mean, these are great teams. 17 of our players drafted into the OHL off that midget team. Right. And so I never had a teammate of color. And I said, you know what? And in college, same thing. I said, I, I, I got to the NHL. And I said, I, I got to do, I'm here. You know, I'm, I'm 26 year old guy, 25, 26 year old guy. I'm, you know, first black employee ever there in, you know, in an executive position. And, and Gary's mandate to me, Gary Bettman's mandate to me was grow the game, figure it out. You've, you've got the intellectual property, the National Hockey League and limited resources. Go figure it out. And I want you to add value and, and make money for us every day and expand the sport. And so I took that purview in the in the biggest sense, you know, not just short term, but long term. Let's plant seeds and water them and put sunshine on them that are going to allow kids from all backgrounds access to the game, first and foremost, yeah. access to put sticks in their hands. And then the to show them uh, at scale a path. Somebody's done this before and, and you can do it too. Right. And that someone, when I met him, I knew right away was Willie O'Ree. I said, I knew who he was growing up. I wanted to be the first black player. I went to the library and I saw his picture and I was pretty upset. For about <laughs> years. <laughs> I was 10 years old. I was like, Argh. but I got over it. And then I got to the league and I made a point to go find him. It was pre Google. So um, I made a film about this. Some of this is in the film. I don't want to give it away, but, but a friend of mine at the FBI helped me find Willie who was working in security at the hotel Del Coronado in San Diego. Wow. And I went to see him and talk to him. And he, and I was just, I was completely, and uh, you've met Willie, you, you know, but other yeah. people that haven't met him, he is the most earnest, humble, gracious man you, you, you can meet. I mean, he's he's unbelievable. And um, in terms of who he is and how he carries himself, the dignity and after all that he's gone through, yeah. right? I, I fight sometimes to not be angry about some of the stuff going on in the world. Willie does. Willie, I've never seen Willie have a bad day. Huh. It's just That's impressive. And how his family raised him, you know? So he was the beacon way back then, and he still is now. Yeah. Well, so what year what year was that? That was in Brian? 19 that was in 1991, 92. So you met Willie in 91, 92? Yeah. Back? Wow. Yeah. I went and I found him. Wow. 
And then how long, how long was it? Um, and I'm just asking, cause I'm really curious <laughs> the, yeah. uh, how long, how long was it before you actually started building the infrastructure around with the NHL yes. with Willie? Yeah, that must've been, and yes. you know, to be able to have, you know, have him out in the public and, and yeah. getting him to that place. So talk a little bit about that. Like, yeah, talk, talk was, a little bit about like, you know, what you had Willie doing and what your vision was with Willie and sure. to grow that game. Yeah. It, it wasn't, it wasn't on anyone's business plan. That was yeah. the hardest part. Yeah. Right. They were like, what, what do, what do you want to do? Why? What is this? What is this? How is this going to work? Right. They, they've had a million questions and I said, it's real simple. This guy's Jackie Robinson folks. I mean, like, yeah. wow. Right. He's alive and he's not only alive, Wait till you meet him. And they yeah. met him and they were like, oh, we get it now. This guy is the perfect guy to go to all of these programs you're starting. So we started, yeah. we started 30, 40 programs around the country by teaching people how to fish, not giving them fish. Right. Here, here's how to get equipment. Here's how to get ice time. We broke down all the barriers to access. And then once you did that and you ran a program that rewarded kids for their citizenship, for their dedication to the sport and, and their, uh, and their grades, then we'd have Willie come and visit you if you do yeah. those things. And they were like, Willie, he's going to come here. We were like, yes, I promise you, I will make sure he shows up there. And they, and he did. And then once he showed up in those programs in Columbus and, and in um, Dallas and in uh, Florida, and I mean, they were all over the place. Right. Yeah. And uh, New York city, ice hockey in Harlem, Fort DuPont in DC, Mariucci inner city hockey in Minnesota. I mean, there's just so many of them. And he, and he just started traveling and he's six. I heard him when he was 61 years old, Sheldon. Wow. You know? and, and I mean, most people are dialing it down. Yeah. Really, really ramped it up. He's, yeah. And he's been doing that for 25 years now. Right. Wow. He never stopped. He's the energizer bunny. And he just, he just said, he, he, I, if everybody did their job as well as Willie or does his, we'd all be in incredible shape. Yeah. I love watching him. And sorry to cut you off there, uh, Brian, oh, please, but please, please. I just, I, uh, you know what? I mean, the guy, when you see him, he's just, he's dressed to the T he's like professional. He's proud. He's like, you know, and I think that just, yeah, his presence is, uh, is impressive. And I think infectious. And, and to me, that's, that's one thing that's always stuck. Right. And, and, uh, you know, I just, I couldn't imagine, I just couldn't imagine some of the things that, you know, a person in Willie's position probably went through. And I'll tell you a couple of stories. Sorry to cut you yeah. off. I'll tell you no, a, that's good. A couple of stories that'll, that'll, provide some context. When I first met Willie, I went into it. We went into his office and I look up and he's working in security at this time at a hotel. And I look up and I know exactly what this like crazy big plaque is. I'm like, Oh my God. I'm thinking to myself, that's the order of Canada. That's the highest civilian honor given in the, you know, Canada. And there it is on his wall. And right next to it are two plaques where he was employee of the month at that hotel. All work's important. Yeah. That's what that said to me. This is a yeah. humble man, right? I was just like, wow. And so that was, that kind of set the tone as to who he was. Yeah. And then when I was trying to hire him, I finally broke through when I asked the commissioner, I said, Hey, are you doing anything tomorrow night? And you know, you got, got half an hour for me. He's like, yeah, 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 sure. So we went up to ice hockey in Harlem, you know, yeah. got out. We sat in the back of this crowded auditorium where they were giving out their year-end awards to all these ice hockey and Harlem kids. And Willie was speaking. Gary Bettman turned to me. He goes, hire him immediately. 
he, he just, he was that infectious kind of, you know, the whole room yeah. was just like, wow, this is guy, this guy's got this, he's got a purpose that we want. He's got a mission that we want to be part of, you know, and, and, and you could feel it. And I was just like, this is incredible. If we can get him to around the country and, you know, on film and, and interviews to hear and see who he is, we're going to change the sport. We're going to have generational impact. I saw it. I saw it like right there. Gary did too. And that's exactly what he's done. One other funny story, side note along the way, you know, you, you mentioned again in his infectious kind of aura. When Willie walks into a room, there's hot personalities and cold personalities. You know, Willie walks into a room, hundreds of people just descend on him, right? In a, in a rink, he just, it's so hard to walk through a rink with him. And they come out of the woodwork kind of like wanting to shake his hand and get an autograph and just to say hello to him. And he knows there's thousands of people that he's met that he's really dialed into and they know he's listening and paying attention. So I'm looking for Willie. We're at an NHL um, award ceremony in Toronto, and he's got a radio interview to do. And I got to get him on the radio in 15 minutes on the West Coast. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, where is he? Because he can get pulled into things and you never find a Browers kind of thing. <laughs> and seriously, it's wild. Yeah. And, and so so he, I go into this bar in Toronto across from, you know, it's Don Cherry's old bar in Toronto. You probably remember it. I know that one. Yep. And and so I walk in and I see this in this corner. There's 200 people around something going on in the corner. I go, there he is. <laughs> like, I, I know, right? Because I kind of wade through. I'm, I'm gonna, I got to go through. I got to get through. And I find my way through this huge crowd of 200, literally 200 people all drinking and listening in a corner booth to these to three people. The three people are Walter Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky, and Willie. Okay. And and I get close enough that I hear Walter Gretzky and he grabs Wayne's ear and he says, if you could have skated as fast as this guy, you would have been a great player. <laughs> yeah. Would have been a great player. Right? <laughs> I was, I mean, that's the effect. He and Walter were really tight. They were, yeah. be, they were best, best buddies. And just so kind of being a fly on the wall and seeing Willie's, uh, seeing Willie's effect on people has been one of the greatest gifts I've ever, ever received. Well, that's awesome, Brian. And, you know, I, I know that uh, I wasn't able to make it to the screening here in Calgary, but I know Wayne, Wayne McNeil, and uh, we supported the screening of the Willie Dock. And, and uh, you know, I, I was able to see it on, um, uh, was it Crave? Was oh, it Crave? Crave, yeah. Crave yeah. yeah. So I watched it on Crave and, and uh, it's awesome. Great, great job for that. What would you Thank think? You. What, what would you say? What would you say the impact has been like? measure like i know it's tough to measure but i mean what have you seen like as as a as as the biggest impact that you know that willie's had and the that you know that movement right i would say it's yep. a movement yep. and it's a, a movement. and uh you know talk to us a little bit about that i i think you mentioned some numbers like how many black people were in the league such and yep. such a date yep. compared yep. to now yep. which yep. is awesome here's some metrics when I was at when I started at the National Hockey League, there were three black players. Yeah, there's now forty. Wow. So that's you know that's, that's unreal. That's pretty damn good. But it's taken thirty years. That's too yeah. long. That's way yeah. too long, right? So so that's one good metric. Um, the number of women that are playing has exploded in that time period, and I, and I think in part because Willie insists on if he's going to a school or if he's going to a league, well, where's the girls' programs? How come yeah. I'm not? How come there aren't any girls here? 
he, from day one, he's done that. Yeah. And women have remembered it. Well, now they're now, some of them are now grown and bigger. And they said, wow, Willie really encouraged us. He really, you know, said this game's for everybody. And everyone should get a chance. Like I got a chance. And, you know, so he's, he's been that drumbeat for women's hockey as well. Um, and then he, he also, you know, he made sure to visit places that other people wouldn't visit. He went to the juvenile detention centers. He went to the YW and YMCAs. He didn't just go to the hockey schools. And he, he went anywhere where there were kids who just may not know his story, right? So that was that was just him in person. But, you know, he, he's, he's been doing this since he was 61. He's now 86. And right. he's, you know, yeah, the mileage, he's impacted. He's met with, they, they, the NHL estimate, estimates that he's met with over 130,000 kids in that time. We wow. added up one more metric that's just mind-blowing to me. We added up for Willie's Hall of Fame nomination. We added up his travel between, between the age of 61 and 83. He traveled cumulatively for six years when you add wow. it all up. It just mind blowing dedication to what he was doing and singular focus to what he was doing on the road, meeting with these kids, getting on the ice in his sixties and seventies and, and just, you know, leading the way and showing people. And um, so that led us about four years ago on the 60th anniversary of his first game with the Bruins. Yeah. It it hit me that night. Why is he not in the hall of fame? This is crazy that he's not in the hall of fame. And so we, we rounded the troops up and, put a team together and we said, we're getting Willie in the hall. And that's what we put our head down towards uh, doing. And about a third of the way into that process, a smart friend, great investigative jur- journalist named Laurence Matthew Leger. She was my neighbor actually in New York. And, and she, I'd watched her work. She does beautiful, beautiful work. Um, everything she shoots is beautiful. And, and she said, we need to, I told her this story she's from Montreal. She'd never heard of Willie. She's a hockey fan. She was ashamed. And she goes, we have to make this movie. And I said, you know what? You're right. That scales. Willie doesn't have to be everywhere. I don't have to be everywhere. Other people don't have to be everywhere. So, um, so we made the film, we made the film in nine months. And frankly, I'll be, you know, just direct about it. I saw that other powers and parties that uh, be were trying to divide the United States by race, Mm -hmm. you know, at the federal level. And I said, no way enough, we're going to do our part. And we did. And so I wanted to juxtapose what was going on there versus what who Willie what is and what he does and his ability to teach, heal, and humanize. And that's what we that's that those were our that was the first day where we started to think through what story we were going to tell and how we were going to frame it. And those are the three words that I wrote down teach, heal, humanize. And that's what he delivered. And we did our best to capture that in the film. It's been um it was entered into nine debuted at hot docs in Toronto. We came second out of 300 some films, which was incredible uh, by audience vote. Um, we won four of the nine festivals. We won awards at four of the nine festivals we were in. We debuted on ESPN uh, at the African American Museum of um, History and at the Smithsonian, the Oprah Winfrey Theater. We debuted there. Uh, it's just it's just been an, a magical, magical ride to make content that is that meaningful to people and that is more than just the fun hour and a half of watching. We hope that people the takeaway um, that they have it, it widens their aperture. Right. They think a little bit differently about people and and about, you know, categorizing and marginalizing and othering people. That was the intent and the hope. And um, and I I hope we achieved it. We're going to do more. Well, and I think that uh, and Willie's uh, legacy through film will will live on. Right. And it'll be a taught skill uh, in many schools. I mean, 
you know, we saw that throughout uh, North America and around the world, which is awesome. So, you know, good for you and good for Willie and your team for pursuing that. Uh, uh, Brian, we know, I know clearly uh, I have a, a, a good wingman in, uh, in my friend Wayne and, and we need that. And, you know, Willie needed that. And, uh, you know, you, you, it's never a, a one man show, but uh, good for you. And thank you for doing that, uh, Brian. I, I, you know, I want to kind of just shift a little bit and I want to, you know, we, our audience on, on these podcasts are, are sport organizations, um, you know, uh, national sport organization, provincial sport organizations, and, you know, a lot of leadership uh, will listen to it. Uh, and, and just people that go to the rink every day with their kids. And, you know, we talk about EDI and we talk about, you know, and it just, to me, it's almost got a little bit confusing. And, and I think, you know, what I need to do in my mind, whenever, it, if it comes around the issues that, you know, I talk about, which is, you know, abuse, bullying, harassment, discrimination. Mm-hmm. I mean, I need to simplify it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd love to get your point of view, uh, Brian, you know, being, be doing this work and seeing and hearing from people like what, what can a sport leader do um, to be the best they can be for those that are, that are, part of their membership around, you know, inclusivity, accessibility, mm-hmm. you know, diversity, and, you know, what some call EDI and so forth. I'd love, love to hear, hear your expertise on that. I think it really starts with doing some personal work, mm-hmm. right? You can't expect others as a leader. You can't expect others to follow you if you're not doing the work personally, right? Yeah. And that for me, you know, I, I'm, I'm in my 50s, and um, as you said, I've been doing this work a long time, but the level and the depth at which I was doing it, you know, I'm ashamed of, frankly. Mm-hmm. I should have been doing more and doing it harder and deeper and, and wider, and frankly, just learning, just understanding, right, the, the landscape. You know, I'll give you an example, um, and it's all very personal. You know, I realized after the movie really kicked it off for me, right, mm-hmm. and I was doing the work and all of that, but. I really dug in and I started to learn Willie's history and his family's history. And then the ripple effect was other history. You've got to do the work and understand. If you don't know where you started, you don't know how you got here and you don't know where you're going. Right. So for me, it was, it was reading Isabel Wilkerson's the warmth of other sons cast reading the color of law, reading Ibram Kendi's how to be anti-racist. So all of this, all of this mind-opening stuff where you kind of understand the roots and the origins in my, in this case of racism mm-hmm. and but also in other verticals you know like ableism and understanding the indigenous story and understanding you know just all of the different areas and ways that people have been discriminated against against and been hurt you got to you got to have you got to feel that in your belly if you can yeah. really talk about it right and 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 do something about it so for me, it was that understanding in the last couple of years, I was right place, right time. I went to West Point. I went to the military academy. I'm a U.S. citizen, Canadian trained hockey player. They jumped all over that, and I got into the West Point. And, and I was, again, right place, right time. I was the first black class president at West Point in 1984. I realized just in the last year that I served in that role, and I lived in General Lee Barracks. I really didn't internalize or understand the ramifications of that, the thought of that. This is just how we do things here. We're going to celebrate a guy who tried to enslave millions, worked, fought, killed people to enslave millions of other, other people. Whoa. Why are we celebrating this guy? 
what are we doing? What's going on here? I never questioned it. We just yeah. went along, right? So that personal realization was was like, oh my goodness, it was heavy for me. Similarly, my dad is white, my mom is black. My parents married in 1970 in, in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. It would have been illegal in 32 states for them to marry. Wow. Like th- those kind of look back, and, you know, in your journey and you go, oh my God, I've got a hundred of those where you just, it just blows your mind that you just don't, you're swimming through this, all this stuff on a daily basis. And you're just dealing with it, dealing with it, dealing with it. I'm an investor and an entrepreneur. I realized in the last year and a half that 1%, 1% of all invested capital in North America goes to black entrepreneurs. <laughs> I had to take a long walk <laughs> after that one, right? So I think it's dialing in personally to what is really happening on this landscape. I grew up in Canada. I, I had all of these advantages. I'm the beneficiary of MLK and Malcolm X and all of these people who did all of the civil rights movement, they did all of this work so that we could be talking today and so that I could do the thing. So I'm standing on a lot of shoulders right now, and I have a huge responsibility to carry that work forward. So as a leader in a sports organization, look back, understand the history, really do the work because you can't speak with credibility unless you know it. And in my case, understanding, you know, here's one example, two examples that I think are so important. You know, people will say, you know, in my area, well, you know, that's, that's, that's history. That's all. That's a long time ago. What do, what do you mean? Well, you know what? The, the great compromise of 1876, Tilden versus Hayes, that election, it's important to understand that and know that because what it meant was that compromise they had two elect warring electoral right. candidate you know slates yeah the compromise was hayes would become president tilden would step down the south would regain control they'd move the union army out and they'd regain home rule or control over the laws in their states and what it meant for the next 70 years jim crow the losers in that compromise were black people mm-hmm. and that meant what that meant was state sanctioned this is hard stuff. State sanctioned, a person of color was lynched every three days for the next 70 years in the United States. And nobody talks about it. Jeez. That's just the truth, right? That's one example. Another example, the biggest welfare program and welfare, just the word sets off all kinds of connotations about race. And the biggest welfare program in terms of helping people achieve wealth in this in the United States was the GI Bill. You go to war, we win, bullets flying, you win, you get home safely, very Roman. Here's the spoils, here's the rewards. And the rewards from the federal government were education or housing. You got to choose if you were a GI, unless you were black and you got neither. <laughs> that describes that details and that and that that's the underpinnings of the disparity of white and black household income to this day, which is eight and a half X. You weren't allowed to buy a house because you couldn't live in certain neighborhoods. There are covenants in in mortgages in the United States today, today, where it says you cannot sell this home to a black person. That still exists. Unreal. Okay. On the house, on the education side. Yeah. Here's your GI bill. You didn't go to the university of Georgia. This 1940s, fifties, black people couldn't go to the university of Georgia. They couldn't go to, they couldn't go to most of the higher institutions of learning in the United States. So, you suppress all of these people, and then you 
ridicule them and expect them to be at a certain level to compete. And then when they can't and they start to get advantages, you know, via um, some programs that exist, you know, equal opportunity programs, then they get criticized. It's just this ugly spin cycle of marginalization that is, is rooted in policy, right? That, that people just don't know and don't talk. And I didn't know. So I dug in and I got to know. Right. So that could speak credibly to these issues when someone says, oh, that was years ago. What does that matter? Put quite simply said, for 250 years in this country, you could own people. Yeah. And, and, and the stakes were huge. In 1860, the total value of slaves, the market value of slaves was bigger than the gross domestic product of the North. Unreal. Right. So the stakes were huge. So yeah. knowing those facts and understanding them and the ripple effects and what they really mean is critically important. As a leader in that organization, you have to understand some of the things I've said, but also as it pertains directly to your vertical and what, what it, so that you can impart these learnings to people. Right. In the US, we haven't had the guts, and I, and I say it just like that, to do truth and reconciliation. Right. Like Canada. Right. And, you know, not perfect, but they've done something. Right. Mm-hmm. Rwanda, Germany, South Africa. We're still we're still pretending that there's nothing wrong. Right. The greatest wound in the history of the United States has ever yet not only to heal, but even to be addressed. Right. The you know land of the free home of the brave, ooh, you know, slave, you know, all this. Oh, yeah. Slavery. Three fifths of person. Shh. Let's not talk about that. Let's put that over here. We'll deal with that later. It's never been dealt with. So deal with the hard stuff. You do it. Respect group does it. Deal with the hard stuff. Face it. Dress it down so that you can move forward in in a way that is authentic and real and, you know, embodies and embraces lots of people. You can't do this work wrong. So with what you just said, Brian, how talk to me a little bit about what it would be like for a young black hockey player, female, male, transgender, you know, doesn't matter. Just what would it be like given the history to walk into a locker room or anywhere, I guess, not just a locker room, I guess a a school room or somewhere where they're, they maybe see one other person of their color. Like what would that feeling be like for them? Like, you know, just an automatic, like in, and it's in a systemic system, yeah. right? It's yeah, yeah. in a systemic system. And yeah. were you able to like, give me a little bit of just, I want to know like what it yeah. would be like. I mean, I kind of have a perception, but. You, what you're doing in that instance, Willie had to do it. I had to do it. Others have had to do it. You're thinking about survival. Mm. How do I fit in? How do I not get you know othered and ostracized? And how do I fit in? And it's a muscle you start to develop really early at the expense of who you are. Mm-hmm. You, you just gotta, you know, you, if you want, if you love the, it, it's it's cal- it's a calculus. Do I love this game enough to put up with all of the BS? And at least can I get an enclave in this room that supports me, likes me, trusts me, where they'll they'll have my back. Mm-hmm. That's that's goal and step one, right? You got to get that. You need those allies to just to be able to play house league. <laughs> it's crazy, but you need them, right? And you need your coaches and people to back you up. Willie had tons of support when he came up, right? Because you know, when you get into the heat of battle, oh yeah, it's all all hands on deck. You, yeah. You're going to be facing all kinds of garbage. 
And I did. And Willie did. And others did. And, you know, Dre Baroni, who um, is on the board of the Carnegie Initiative with us, first openly gay referee, you know, he had a great quote when I when we first started talking. I love the game. I hated the locker room. Yeah. Because he had to sit there and listen to his teammates talk about, you know, bag this and bag that and, you know, just throwing it around in the locker room, which we all did. Shamefully, I look back and go like, God, how come I didn't see? I didn't participate, thank goodness, because I just didn't. didn't. Mm-hmm. If I'm making fun of them, they're going to make fun of me. Was the yeah. way I was thinking about it, right? And so I didn't participate, but I didn't say anything either. I sat there and I listened to it and I shouldn't have, right? So it's shameful. So, you know, that feeling of, I got to find a way to navigate this and fit in no matter what. And that becomes your primary skill. It becomes a survival technique to be able to, because you love the game more than, okay, I'll deal with that. I'll put up with it. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out. That's what it becomes. It becomes that chess game and that calculus really early on when you're, when you're five, six years old. You're, you're trying to figure that out because right? you just want to, you just want to be belong. You just, everybody wants to belong, right? You want to fit in. So you get obstacles that put in front of you that make that easy or hard. And because you know, you're, it's almost like you're, 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 you're starting on, you know, I'll use a baseball analogy. Some people get to start on third base. Yeah. We, we don't. Yeah. Right. We, we have to fight our way in the stadium. Right. And that and that persists to this day in business and everywhere else where I get one where one percent of invested capital goes to people like me. You're not starting on third base. And yeah. what's hard is when you see people that are starting on third base and they don't even realize it. Yeah. Right. Th- th- that's when it gets a little that's when it's hard not to be angry. Um, yeah. So so that's that, that's the that's the kind of I hope that gives you. Yeah, a, it does. And and, you you know, uh, Brian, I mean, it. yeah, it's it's very relatable. I can. You know, I just wanted to ask that because I, I want to know. And, you know, and I, you know, I, I lived with a heightened sense of, um, you know, I just felt like I had to just always be on guard. <laughs> I had yeah. to manage everything always uh, to make sure that I survived in life in general and, and kept my head above water. So I, I could relate to about what you were talking about. And, you know, I, we're kind of getting near the end, but I just really wanted to touch on, touch on, Brian, just where do you think, you know, I've, I've had a chance to talk with uh, Mr. Bettman uh, briefly and, you know, and, and, you know, Kim Davis, who's, who I think is just a phenomenal person. And, you know, where do you think the NHL is today with this work and, and, and uh, where do you think the future of hockey is with all the teams? Do you think there's been an acceptance of the teams and a, and a buy-in over these years of, of all the hard work that, that yourself and Willie and, and uh, have put into it? Like, give me a little bit of sense of where we're at today, if yeah, you don't I'm, mind. Absolutely. I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful, yeah. right? I mean, I think that, you know, looking back on, on my tenure there and, and all the years in between, should the NHL have done more? Absolutely. You know, should we all have done more? Absolutely. Right. Can we all do more? Absolutely. Right. So hockey is not in a vacuum. It's it's society. Right. I mean, it's, you know, the same guys that, you know, there were youth hockey coaches who stormed the Capitol on January 6th last year. Mm -hmm. Just to put it all into, you know, that's reality. Right. That's just reality. Right. Um, And so from a league standpoint, I think that there's only one league that does it really well right now. And that's the NBA. Mm-hmm. They've been so brave. They've been so, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. No matter what, you cannot shake us, right? That's foundational to us. The other leagues are not there, 
I'm going to be critical of my friends at the NFL, putting, um, you know, fight racism on top of the Kansas City Chiefs logo in the end zone. Come on, fellas. Does anyone else not? Is that not registering with anyone? Right? Like, come on. You, you, you still have a team called the Chiefs. And you're saying fight racism. Are you thinking about indigenous people and what that means to them? Right? No, you're not really. You're 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 putting a label on something. You're being performative. I'm sorry, but that 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 bothers me to this day when I see things like that. So the league, the NHL itself, um, you know, there is people forget the mandate of the league. The league, they're agents for the owners. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what they are, and they represent the interests and they work at the behest of the owners. So I strongly encourage the owners. There are some who have been the owners participated in Willie. They they wrote checks. They did, you know, and, and they so there are some owners who are vehement on this issue. There are others who are watching and sitting on the sideline. And I, and I can say this because I don't work for the league. We're partners on a bunch of things, but I'll say it directly. Get off the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Ibram X. Kennedy's How to Be Anti-Racist is a Bible. I liken it to the four cops. Okay. When I'm saying about the four cops, everyone saw the George Floyd incident and they heard it, right? The incident, you know, treacherous, evil act, right? Is what it was. And saw the victim, saw the murderer, irrefutable, irrefutable with our eyes, with our ears. But the part to me, the barometer was the four cops. They could have turned around and just given a quick, hey, 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 I got him. Or tapped him on the shoulder, I got him. They did nothing. (laughs) They did nothing. And we saw what happened when people do nothing. The the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness in America has been replaced with the pursuit of comfort. Netflix and your couch isn't going to solve these problems, right? you got to get off the sidelines. And the bar, because of that incident, has been raised. Racism is cancer. There's a hundred different kinds of cancer known to man. And if we don't get really nuanced and as smart as the people perpetuating that cancer, then we're going to lose. Yeah. Right. So, so understanding it, dialing into it as a leader of a workplace of a sport organization or anything else, understanding what it means to get off the sidelines and be anti-racist. That's the definition of racism. If you're on the sidelines, I'm sorry, you are racist. You are not working to solve these problems then you are part of the problem. That's the definition. So I say to everyone out there, not just NHL owners, but everyone, get off the sidelines. Get in the game. You're at the game. You're not in the game. And you shouldn't pretend anything other than. So that's the that's the message. Oh, I everyone like, brave enough to do it. I like that message, uh, Bryant. And, and I'm hopeful too. I mean, I, you know, I've been very impressed. And I know that there is a huge commitment uh, in the last... You know, a little while that I've been getting to know Kim and, and the team and, and uh, you know, I know that there's a willingness, but that's the work that we do. What you just talked about is, is the work that we try to do is empower the bystander to get people off the sidelines. That's our goal. I believe that it's going to take all of us uh, and we need to we need to give them the tools to get off the sidelines. Right. And you know, I'll tell you, there's more people off the sidelines today than ever before, uh, 100%, 100%. But, uh, but it's a start. So I just want to thank you, uh, Bryant. I, I feel I just went to school <laughs> <laughs> and that was awesome. I, I learned a lot and, and you know what? I know that I know that listeners are going to take so much away from this because 
you know, I feel and I know that a lot of, um, you know, executive directors of sport organizations, they feel very confused with, with some of these issues that are, that are in front of us today that are, there's no question we need to get better at, we need to practice, we need to address. And I think, you know, it's almost an overload. And I think, you know, what you've done is you've really brought in a little bit of a simplistic clarity to give some of our friends out there that are trying to navigate these waters, the tools to be able to actually take action. Because we don't change culture with policies and procedures. We change culture with getting to know, to understand, and to act. And I think that's ultimately the goal. And, and I would add one other thing. on That's one side. Get off the sideline. On the other side, the people that are doing the work like us you know, do it in a way, and this isn't being an apologist, or this isn't being gentle with white privilege. I, I get white privilege. I understand it. I've, I've had some of it because I grew up in Canada, right? Yeah. And I didn't feel it as overtly as down here in the States, where it's first and foremost. But one of the things that I'm careful about, and, I, and I'm mindful of, right? Just like I don't want to be othered. I don't want to other other people. That mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, uh, one of the greatest, my, my, my son, Jake, said this in a way that I I summed it up beautifully. He does this work and he's dialed in on it. Um, he said, you got to work to, you got to ensure that you leave people whole, mm-hmm. you know, that you under, it's, it's empathy. It's an, yeah. you know, as much empathy as you can muster to say, okay, what you just said, let, let's, te- let's break that down. Let's tear that apart and do that in a way where the person feels they can express themselves and feel safe and not be called, you know, you're, you're a terrible person. You're awful because you've been harboring this and you haven't done any work and no, help them get there. Yeah. Help them get there, leave them whole so that they can go, wow, that's new and that's different. And I'm going to dive in and I'm going to start to think differently. And I'm going to tell this message. That's the way we're going to get there. I know that Kim is dedicated and Gary is dedicated to that. And I think, I think that, as you said, there are more people who are in the game than at the game for the first time in a long time. I feel that too, Brian. And, and, you know, thank you. Thank you for this conversation. And, uh, you know, I I just want to make sure that uh, people subscribe to our show in your podcast app so we can stay connected. This show was made possible by Respect Group. And learn more about their work and vision, visit respectgroupinc.com. And uh, thank you, uh, uh, Bryant. I know you got a big meeting here coming up and I won't keep you there, but uh, I, I loved what you said at the end empathy and we need to learn i think this is we need to re-teach the skill you know i feel that we were taught a certain way and that's what systemic is we're taught a certain way forever and we need to re-learn and i know for me i'm always relearning in this area because i can always grow and nobody's perfect there's lots of things that i'm shameful for of in in my life and i didn't step in and and step up and uh, i've probably said things uh, there's no question that i would love to take back but i know that uh, i'm open-minded and i want to be better and i and uh and i want to grow and and i want to make sure that i'm doing everything in my power to teach my son and my daughter a better way and so thank you for joining us and uh have a great day brian anytime Sheldon. thank you appreciate all that you're doing yeah you bet we'll chat again my friend very good thank you